All right, well, we are deep into this fall series that we've called Bullseye, which is all about discovering how to live in a way that puts and pursues Jesus at the center. And we've been contrasting two really kind of starkly different approaches to faith, what's called a bounded set approach and a centered set approach. And we examine these in the very first week, if you've missed some of the series, by looking at the Bible and what the Bible says about how to read the Bible. Because if you read the Bible like it's a newspaper or like it's a, a rule book, you tend to establish what's called a bounded set approach to faith, where you read and interpret a variety of rules to try to determine what all the rules are so that you can make sure that you're inside the bounded set and not outside. That's how you understand faith in God. But if you understand that this book is ultimately one single story of God's activity throughout human history, whose surprising twist focuses on the person of Jesus, that big picture and that focus can help you establish some context for the whole Bible, especially for the difficult passages in the Old Testament. And it can provide kind of the point of all of it in understanding and knowing and following Jesus. And through that, the themes of Jesus' new covenant, new command, law of love can emerge throughout the entire Bible to drive us to the point of all of it, which is to put Jesus at the center and experience a Christ-centered faith that expresses itself in love. In the very first week, we looked at what the bullseye was, putting Jesus at the center and pursuing his life of love. And after examining the word of God, we've spent some weeks looking at some implications of this centered versus bounded set approach. We looked, for example, at the contrast between the heart of God, a faith that's understood to be focused on sin management instead of being invited into Jesus' life of love, a life uh, staring at the bullseye that keeps us away from what sin is, which is the definition of missing the mark. Then John Hand helped us understand the invitation of God, not a one and done uh, kind of choice or decision to receive Christ that leaves you relatively unchanged through the rest of your life, but rather an ongoing lifestyle of devotion to Christ that continues to move towards Jesus at the center. And then last week, Mandy helped walk us through a little bit of what it means to relate to God, not in a bounded set approach that seeks mastery over what the boundary is to make sure we're in and not out of it, but one that's constantly moving forward uh, closer to Jesus. And as we discover more about him, we learn what we don't know, and we can embrace the mystery of a life moving closer to Jesus at the center. After examining the Word of God, considering the heart of God, the invitation of God, and how to relate to God, today, in this edition of this Bullseye series, we want to consider the contrast between the bounded and center set approaches to the will of God to God's will for our lives. And I know that that's important for many of us. I talk with many people pastorally and they wonder, how do I determine God's will for my life? How do I know God's will for my life? How do I ensure I'm living within God's will for my life? And what tends to be the case is we tend to approach that from a bounded set approach of rules and regulations that determine God's will according to a certain priority or subset of those rules within the boundary that become our best description of what we call God's plan. 
We say God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And we define God's plan according to the highlight pieces of what we understand to be in the bounded set of a life of faith. And we need to appreciate today that that bounded set approach that views God's will according to a plan, like a checklist of boxes that you've got to kind of check off, has two major pitfalls. The first pitfall, obviously, is when your life, compared to the plan as you understand it, doesn't completely line up. You know, what do you do, for example, when you understand a feature of the plan to be, as it says in the Bible, to be fruitful and multiply? So part of the plan is to get married and have kids and, and you know, have a kind of a growing, happy family. But all of a sudden you find yourself single or you find yourself experiencing infertility. How do you live c compared to what you understand to be God's plan? Or worse, if you, you know, engage in checking off those boxes and you get married, you have a family, but all of a sudden you experience the heartache of divorce. How do you live with that sense of sort of failure or shame that you're not living according to what you understand to be God's plan? Worse is that feeling of hopelessness, knowing that some of those big major life circumstances are in many ways beyond our control. And so you sit kind of outside of the boundary with the boxes not completely checked and don't know how to fix it. That can lead into some disillusionment and struggle in our relationship with God. We can feel a certain unfairness and a certain lack of control to, to, to get ourselves back on plan. And you know, let alone dealing with the anxiety of knowing whether the boxes that we're trying to check are the, the right boxes or are the, the sum total of what God's plan would represent or feeling the low-grade anxiety of whether we have the boxes checked, wondering if we're just around the corner from some circumstance changing, you know, our kids making choices that kind of put them on a different path that, that all of a sudden uncheck one of those boxes and suddenly we, we find ourselves outside of that plan. There's just such a cocktail of struggle and spiritual disillusionment and failure and shame and hopelessness that we can experience when it comes to approaching God's will in a finite highlight list of checkboxes that we determine is God's plan. But you know what's even worse than the experience of feeling like you've failed to live out God's plan? According to the Bible, what's worse is the experience of feeling like you're succeeding. Take a look at what the Apostle Paul says about his own life in Philippians chapter 3. He says there, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, in human achievement, he says, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he says, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, I was persecuting the church, and as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Do you see what the Apostle Paul's doing here? He's giving you the laundry list of the highlight aspects of what his society and culture understood to be the key components of God's plan. And not only is he providing that list, he's saying that he checks those boxes Perfectly. In fact, in his life, he described his fulfillment of that understanding of God's plan as faultless, as faultless. But then he goes on to say this in verse 7. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. In fact, he says, I consider them garbage 
that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Since becoming a follower of Jesus, Paul describes a totally different experience, an experience of putting Jesus at the center and knowing and becoming like him. And in contrast to that bounded set approach of understanding God's will to be a laundry list of priorities that describe or summarize God's plan, he says, even though he fulfilled that completely, whatever was gain is now actually loss compared to his experience of putting Jesus at the center. And what's more, he describes it as garbage, that this laundry list and trying to fulfill it effectively was garbage compared to knowing Jesus and becoming more like him. The word garbage is actually a word used in Paul's day to refer to refuse. And some commentators have said that this term was actually kind of foul language, almost a swear word in Paul's day. Can you think of an English equivalent for a swear word that refers to refuse in our day and age? If you're thinking about it right now and feeling bad, it's okay. I don't give a sh. Because the Apostle Paul is saying that compared to knowing Jesus, compared to putting Jesus at the center, this approach of understanding God's will according to a finite list of a plan to fulfill is nothing but a steaming pile of crap. And the reason he feels that is because in his life, putting Jesus at the center, he's discovered something better than a plan. He's discovered God's purpose. Paul understands God's will not to be defined by a finite list of boxes to check that represent a plan. Paul has understood that what Jesus invites people into is a purpose of knowing and becoming more like him. That's what we want to understand today as we contrast the bounded set and centered set approaches to a life of faith, the difference between a plan and a purpose. And the biggest difference when it comes to a plan and a purpose in a bounded set and centered set way is that a plan is ultimately man-made. For the Apostle Paul in his day, for us in our day, the plan is what we interpret or what we value or what we prioritize as those highlight elements of the boxes that we need to check to feel like we're living within God's will and not without it. But that's why the scriptures teach in Proverbs 19, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Jesus died and rose again to invite people into one thing, a life of following him, a life of putting him at the center. And with that comes a purpose that the will of God for all people is not a for some time specialized man-made laundry list of items in a plan. It's a singular purpose of knowing Jesus better and becoming more like him. Now, that doesn't mean that God isn't interested in the intricacies of your life or the trajectory that your life is taking or all of the uniquenesses of the individual you. God loves you and wants to be deeply involved in the personal intimacies of your unique life. But consider a verse that we often use to describe the plan that God has for us in the Old Testament in Jeremiah 29, 11. It says there, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Many times we use a verse like this to affirm that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And you need to get with the program of figuring out what that plan is and make sure that you're checking all the boxes off so that you can experience the vitality and abundance of that plan. But understand in the context of this verse that Jeremiah is speaking to the nation of Israel. And he's encouraging them to embrace a plan that God has had for them for some time that he describes in the verses to follow. 
Look what it says in verse 12. He says, then you'll call on me, come and pray to me, and I'll listen to you. And you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. What kind of plan is Jeremiah describing on behalf of God? He's talking about the plan of simply putting God at the center and seeking him with all our heart. The plan that he's referring to is actually the purpose that Jesus invites us into. And if we view those Old Testament verses through the meta-narrative lens of Jesus, we can see a foreshadowing for the very same invitation that Jesus offered to followers like you and me to seek him with all our heart, to find him, and in pursuing him in a greater and greater way, putting him at the center, we can experience his life and love and become more like him every day. That Jesus values a purpose over a plan. Jesus values his purpose over a plan. Think of it this way to help understand it a little bit better. Imagine that you and a group of friends, or you and your family, if you have a family, were about to go on a one-week vacation. But you get to the airport, and you realize that your flights have been canceled, and the only way to get to your destination is by renting a van. And so you all kind of get in the same vehicle, and you head on towards your destination, and it takes you a lot longer to get there. So when you get there, you realize that your hotel rooms have been given up, you've lost them, and you have no other place to stay but to get a tent or rent a trailer or something. So you do that, but you discover that in addition to the excursions that you missed because of the long drive there, some of the events and activities you wanted to participate in are canceled or they're closed because of maintenance. And so you've got to make up some different activities. You've got to go for hikes or, you know, play with each other at the beach. And of course, you've got to leave early because you're driving back, not flying. But by the time you get back and you drop off the car and kind of debrief the experience with your friend group or with your family, you realize that that extra drive time and that 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 close kind of quarters experience of that tent or that trailer and those adventures of those hikes or those days at the beach, those actually resulted in you growing way closer and having really memorable experiences as a friend group or as a family that you're going to cherish for a lifetime. And an example like that, as simple as it is, was that a successful vacation or not? Well, it depends on whether you view it from the perspective of its purpose or its plan. If you view that vacation from the perspective of its plan, it was a complete disaster. Nothing went according to plan, and every aspect of the plan miserably failed. But if you appreciate that the purpose of the vacation was to grow closer as a friend group or grow closer as a family and to create memories that will last a lifetime, then from the perspective of its purpose, the vacation was a re resounding success. Because when it comes to relationship, purpose matters more than plan. And that's what Jesus invites people into in a centered, set, love-based relationship with him. He invites us into his purpose more than trying to fulfill our understanding of his plan. The question for us today that we want to consider both personally with God and together, you know, in our conversations with our friends and families and especially with our life groups this week, is whether we can actually embrace Jesus' invitation and his value of purpose over plan. 
On the one hand, can we free ourselves from the burden of a man-made plan? Can we free ourselves from the pressure and the burden and, and, and you know, the boundedness of feeling like we've got to, you know, live a certain way or, you know, have a certain uh, kind of education or certain family or marital status or do certain things for work or play a certain role in the church or, you know, have a certain future trajectory? C can we relieve ourselves of the specificity and human kind of priorities and value system of that internal interpretation of God's plan? And instead, can we focus in a centered set way on embracing Jesus' single purpose for our lives? Can we, you know, no matter who we are, what we've done, or where we come from, or where we find ourselves in life, no matter what season we're in or what circumstances we find ourselves, can we focus ourselves on Jesus' purpose of simply knowing him better, becoming more like him, and taking one step closer to him with him at the center? Can we embrace his purpose instead of what we understand to be God's plan? Because when we do, we really experience the really good news of the message of Jesus. It's described this way in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, where it says, It is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Recognize that this is the very essence of what differentiates Christianity from every other world religion. In fact, what differentiates the Christian faith from a religion by definition. Because a religion is a bunch of stuff that people do in and of their own strength for God. Things that they do to please God. Things that they do to prevent God from being angry at them. Where Christianity is about what God does for us, what Jesus wants to do in us, what Jesus does through us, because Christianity isn't based ultimately on a text and on a bunch of rules. Christianity is centered on a person and an event, the risen life of Jesus that wants to indwell and empower us to live the very life he invites us into. And so instead of stressing and struggling and living with anxiety about whether we're perfectly fulfilling this man-made plan in a bounded set approach to God's will, can we instead understand what Jesus invites us into by putting him at the center and pursuing his life of love step by step as he empowers us to live that very way? Can we give up on kind of perpetually fixating on trying to stay faithful to what we understand to be God's plan and instead passionately pursue Jesus' purpose as we personally and together as a church family learn how to better and better put him at the center in the strength and risen life that he provides. Let's pray together. Jesus, we just want to thank you for the, the simplicity of the invitation that you invite us into and for your risen life that actually empowers us to have the capability of fulfilling it. I pray for those of us who are either struggling with areas where we believe to have kind of missed out on fulfilling what we understand to be your plan or to those of us who might feel some security or maybe even some arrogance in feeling like we're actually living it out to a full and faithful degree, help us to realize the futility of living in that bounded set way. Help us to realize, as the Apostle Paul says, the, the, the loss, the garbage that that approach to your will is and instead to embrace the priceless adventure of putting you at the center and experiencing your transforming work within us as we move closer and closer towards you. 
God, not just personally, but as a church family. I pray that we would be encouraging one another towards Jesus and that we could nurture that adventurous faith, no matter what seasons of life and no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, that we could singularly, commonly, in a unified way, pursue the purpose that you invite us into and that you empower us for. Thank you for that. We look forward to watching you do that among us. And we just praise you for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.